Welcome to another sermon podcast from Central Presbyterian Church in Atlanta, Georgia. This episode will feature a sermon delivered by Susan Landrum. The sermon is based on scripture from Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 and 10, and Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. Central Sunday morning service for the 21st of January, 2024, the third Sunday in Ordinary Time, was streamed to our website, our Facebook page, and our YouTube channel. A complete video or sermon audio replay of this service may be found on cpcatlanta.org. Select the upper right menu, and then Sermons Under Worship. Friends, our second reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent, believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat and the hired men and followed him. Holy wisdom, holy word. My sister and her family live in coastal Maine. It is an idyllic place to visit, perhaps not right now. (laughs) Although it feels like Maine outside. But my sister and her partner, my nieces and nephew, call this corner of the world home all year round, and we travel up there often as a family in the summer. One of the things that you'll notice is the visual evidence of the lives of lobstermen. I will take the liberty of calling them lobster people because there are many fierce women captains and surely people of all genders that know the ins and outs of trapping and selling these prized gifts of the sea. As you walk through the neighborhoods, you'll notice stacks of lobster traps in people's front yards. The docks are bustling with the possibility of buying a lobster fresh off the boat. My niece's soccer practices are planned around the children of lobster people participating in the family business. Lobster boats pepper the harbor, usually moored after a morning at sea. They are named after the matriarchs and the daughters of the family with names like Deborah's Dance and Gail's Girls. Lobstering is a livelihood and a way of life. Being in the water in all conditions is a necessity as well as a shared community experience. Our gospel text invites us into a similar world this morning. Jesus arrives in Galilee, proclaiming the good news as he passes through this coastal town. At this moment, it seems if he's speaking to anyone who will listen, or even to those that won't quite look in his direction— As they head to the market or to the coast, he's shouting things like, believe the good news, repent. There is an urgency to this message. It might have even been unsettling to those who are passing him by. I can't help but wonder how often we miss or ignore something we need to hear out of this discomfort or this busyness. But we know that Jesus persists, and he makes his way to the shoreline. He spots Simon and Andrew doing what they do every day and preparing for a time on the water as fishermen. 
There is a routine and a rhythm to their lives, a predictability, an ingrained knowledge of what it takes to make a living with water and boats and nets. They are not strangers to the challenges of this lifestyle. Early mornings, unpredictable conditions, unknown outcomes. They are not strangers to what fishing requires, preparedness and steadfastness, to name a couple. So Jesus sees them, and knowing this, commands them in a way that they understand. In this urgent and clear text, he says, follow me. In our English translation, we hear Jesus say that he will make them fishers of people. But I do find the Greek to be a little bit more interesting, because the verb before become, or genomai in the Greek, is dropped. So the Greek text reads, I will make you become fishers of men. While this is a little bit clunky, this verb become suggests that these disciples are in an ongoing process of transforming themselves. They are leaving their old lives behind and becoming something new. They are turning into fishers of people through following Christ and listening to Christ and watching Christ. This command is direct and urgent, but it is not a one-time event. And Simon and Andrew go. They follow. They drop their nets. They leave their boat, and this group of three continues through Galilee. So next, they encounter James and John and their father Zebedee, moving through the same rhythms of the morning. Jesus calls to them. Does he say the same words? Does he promise to make them become fishers of people too? Jesus had to have seen Zebedee there too, and yet Zebedee, the patriarch of these newly made disciples, does not follow. He stays in the boat, attending to the nets. I don't really know what to make of this, but I do like to imagine that Zebedee wished his boys well, knowing that he, he had imparted his wisdom of the material world onto his sons, and maybe now they were going to learn about God's kingdom in a new way. James and John leave him to embrace new rhythms and routines of becoming a new kind of fisherman. While this text is both urgent and directive, it allows for us to see that the disciples were being told to take a first step by dropping their nets and joining in on a journey. Joining the journey is the command, becoming a new kind of fisherman is the promise. Over the past two weeks, I journeyed with a group of fellow seminary students and two professors, including the one and only Reverend Dr. Martha Moore Kish and the incredible Dr. Brennan Breed to New York City and Washington, D.C. We have been in a class together this past semester called Israel-Palestine, Understanding the Holy Land. This class, taught by Dr. Breed, one of our Hebrew Bible professors, was designed to prepare us to travel to Israel-Palestine this month, to encounter the historic places named throughout our scriptures, and to meet the people currently living there in all of this place's complexity. Of course, after the horrific events of October 7th, the trip in the class had to pivot quickly. We changed our focus in class to learning about the many layers of this region in the 20th century and the ongoing conflict, as well as the war in Gaza post-October 7th. We traveled to New York and D.C. to meet with Muslim and Jewish communities and Palestinian activists, as well as advocates for peace and justice across denominations and within the PCUSA. Every day on our journey, our heads would be swimming, 
and our hearts broken wide open as we heard more and more perspectives. I assure you that they were all powerful, they were all convincing, and they were all urgent. It strikes me, as I reflected this week on this trip and this passage, that in each room and in each conversation, we were the ones that were being fished for. Every person that we heard from needed us to see their perspective and their story. Every person that took the time to sit with us, to share food with us, to open their homes to us, to open their houses of worship to us, they were seeking us out. Every person that we met, Palestinian, Jewish, Muslim, Christian, and so much more, felt strongly about their particular vision of justice. I surely can't do all of these visions justice in this sermon. Perhaps a Sunday school series could scratch the surface. But as you can imagine, the means towards peace and justice differed depending on who we were talking to. But what I can share is that the urgency and the passion and the compassion was evident in every one of these people across any line we might imagine. It was a unique experience to be so clearly fished for. It was a unique experience to embrace the cognitive dissonance of multiple perspectives and visions of justice. And yet, despite the differences, one thing that was clearly pulsing through was that palpable sense of urgency. And everyone we met did not believe that a place or a people were beyond God's peace or God's imagination. So friends, as we turn back to the prophet Jonah and put his experience in conversation with our disciples this morning, I believe that this imaginative peace and this urgency ties both of these texts together. In the case of Jonah, God called him to get up and go to Nineveh. In the text that we read today, God is calling Jonah for the second time. He had been called before, and you might remember that the first time he was asked, he tried to sneak and round the charge and headed in the exact opposite direction. God responds by sending a great storm onto the seas that Jonah is traversing, and Jonah ends up getting cast overboard by his fellow travelers, who were very patient with him. Jonah spends three days in the belly of that big fish that God provides for him, just enough time to think and pray and in many ways remember his gratitude to God. So we meet him here in this text with the second urgent command from God to get up and go to Nineveh. Now it's important to note that asking Jonah to go to this particular city was a big ask on God's part. Other prophets portray Nineveh as an evil city in need of great repentance. It was a place of horror and trauma for Jonah. He turned in the other direction the first time, not necessarily out of rebellion, but out of fear. Yet God does not believe that even this place of violence and destruction is beyond God's power of redemption. So when Jonah obeys this time, marching across dry land into Nineveh, and declaring that very brief and urgent message, 40 days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The people listen. They take action, and they repent. Jonah certainly did not willingly drop his net and follow, but in the end, his prophetic act provided a new life for the people of Nineveh. Now, we know, if we keep reading, that Jonah doesn't exactly rejoice in what just happened. He gets angry with God, not understanding why this evil goes unpunished, and the story ends with God's question to Jonah. 
And should I not be concerned about Nineveh and all of its people and animals too? Holding these stories together in the world we're living in at this very moment, I see the urgency of God's call. Jonah's story shows that God cares about all people, all places, despite our very human tendency to dig our heels into an us-versus-them attitude. God's question lingers. Should I not be concerned with Nineveh? Should I not be concerned with Gaza, with Israel, with the United States, with the neighborhoods of Atlanta? Should I not be concerned with the people that you see as your enemy? How will we respond to God's question? God responds to this question through the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ. Jesus' salvific work started with his birth and transforms our own lives today. In Mark's gospel, Jesus is certain that the kingdom of God is near. He acts by going out and finding people to listen and to join him. Jesus is the first to become a fisher of people. And as a result, we are both being fished for and becoming fishers. Our life in Christ requires us to do both things, to drop our nets and adopt new rhythms and routines, and to invite others to do the same. Fishing is a lifestyle, one that requires showing up day after day, steadfast, prepared, and open to the elements. These stories show us that our call is never a one-time event and that we are called to be both fished and fishers. We are called by Christ to listen to where and how the good, nourishing news is showing up in the world. We encounter the good news in the voices and perspectives of people we know and love, as well as the unexpected messengers, the new voices and visions of justice. I wonder what new routines and rhythms will open us up to these spiritual nets. What can we do this week in prayer that brings Christ's spirit even closer to our hearts? What perspectives can we seek out that might just break our hearts wide open and expand our imaginations? Who is God calling us to seek out and work with, even if they might feel like a them to our us? What vision of justice are we holding on to that needs to be shared through word and action? These are the ways that maybe we can become fishers and be fished. We are called by Christ to act in service to a just kingdom even when we might not be able to see it from the shoreline. In Christ, we believe in a kingdom of heaven where no place is beyond God's view or unworthy of God's grace. In Christ, we listen for and seek justice for all of God's children. And in Christ, we pray for steadfast faith and open hearts as we are fished for and wide nets as we become fishers. Amen. We are glad you joined us for this podcast from Central Presbyterian Church. Central is a welcoming congregation of the Presbyterian Church USA located in downtown Atlanta across from the state capitol. For more information about the life, work and ministries please visit our website at cpcatlanta.org. We also invite you to join us for worship and Sunday school and experience this exciting and diverse body of believers who seek to be bearers of God's justice in the world. Thanks again for listening.